Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 186 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, my guest today is someone who is appearing for the first time on this leadership podcast. I've interviewed him before for my other podcast, the um, Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. His name's Daniel M., and these days, he makes his home in Nashville, Tennessee, where he serves as the founder and director of church multiplication for newchurches.com at Lifeway Christian Resources. He is also a teaching pastor. He has served um, well in churches that were very small, right up to, get this, 50,000 people in Vancouver, Ottawa, Montreal, Korea, Edmonton, and Nashville. Crazy. Has an MA in global leadership, and his latest book is called No Silver Bullets. And today, Daniel and I are going to talk about some of the ideas in that book. We're going to look at spiritual maturity and what's wrong with our definition of it, what's wrong with discipleship, and also, uh, for the first time, by popular demand, some really good insights on bivocational ministry. A lot of you ask questions about it because, you know, you got a day job and then you are also the lead pastor of your church or you work on staff at your church. Daniel's got some great insights. And one of the things I love about Daniel every time I hang out with him is he has data, actual data, like this guy thinks. So uh, that's going to be amazing. Hey, I want to thank all of you who continue to leave ratings and reviews. You guys, thank you. I read every single one of them. And I know a lot of you from business are leaving reviews. And those of you in ministry are doing the same. We're at over 600 on iTunes, which is incredible. And um, pushing 5.4 million downloads on this podcast. So thank you guys. You're amazing. Thank you for sharing things with your staff. I know a lot of you discuss these, and I hear from you every single day, and it means the world. So thank you so much for that. We are going to keep doing this, and if you're not a subscriber, do so, um, because not only will you be able to get the episode for free every Tuesday, but I learned an interesting fact. Those of you who listen to this podcast, Apple gives us analytics, um, have an average listen rate of like 80% of these episodes. So it's not like, you know, the downloads are like, oh yeah, I listened for 10 seconds and then it counts. No, most of you are listening 80% of the way through or longer, which is huge for like a podcast as long as this one. And why do I bring you long form? Well, I'll tell you why. Um, because the best conversations I have are never eight minutes or 20 minutes or 25 minutes. They always tend to be longer. And you probably discovered the secret. Uh, often the best part of the interview is past the 30-minute mark. It just takes that long for guests to get comfortable. Now, you're going to pick up lots of insights. But anyway, I'm so glad the format's resonating. Thank you for sharing. Thanks for the positive feedback. Always looking to get better. We love to hear from you. And hey, I know a lot of you are trying to grow your team. And one of the things I've done, like a year ago, it was me and a half-time assistant. And now we have a team of three, soon to be four, plus a marketing team. And one of the partners I've had for the last couple of years has been Belay Solutions. So uh, they do much more than just virtual assistants. But a number of people from my team who bring you this podcast and the other writing I do and the other things I do, uh, they're from Belay. And I got to tell you, they are an incredible talent agency. So uh, one of the people on my team, Leanne Kelly, is wonderfully expecting her third child. And guess what? I'm not going to have to do an employment search. I just call Belay. They're like, here's two candidates, Carrie. And they have such a 
wonder, I was going to say ruthless, it's not ruthless, but such a careful selection process that they have already pre-weeded out 98% of the people who apply to Belay. So I get the best of the best. And it's not just, you know, because I have any special talent. Um, You get the best of the best. So you think about how many resumes you have to sort through, blah, 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 blah. Just don't do it anymore. Just use Belay. And you can go to belaysolutions.com slash carry, C-A-R-E-Y, um, I talked a little bit more about that and um, head on over there and see if this is right for you. If you need any administrative services, 10 hours a week or more, they're your solution. They're my solution. I want to encourage you to check them out. A lot of you, you know what you need to leverage your leadership? You just need a little bit of help. And at 10, 15, 20 hours a week, you would not believe the difference that makes. So head on over to belaysolutions.com. That's what I have done. That's what I continue to do as my team grows. And I would love for you to be able to leverage your leadership so that you can delegate the things you delegate and do what only you can do. Well, without much further ado, here is a guy who knows an awful lot about church planting and leadership and has done more in his young life than so many of us. My guest, Daniel M. Well, it's just a thrill to have Daniel M. on the podcast. Daniel, we've already been catching up for how long? I don't know, a long time. Yeah, yeah, it's good. I'm glad to be here with you, Carrie. <laughs> Before the tape was rolling and, yeah. and uh, talking about all things. So w- once in a while, we sneak a Canadian onto this podcast. Is that correct? Yeah, of course. I mean, Canadians, you know, we got to stick together, yeah. <laughs> especially when we spend so many to- so much time with Americans. So, <laughs> But you're an expat now. You're living yeah, in Nashville, yeah, working with LifeWay Leadership. And uh, a lot of the friends, well, Todd Atkins has been yet again a recent guest on the podcast, along with Eric Geiger and Barnabas Piper. And I think Ed Stetzer is supposed to be on this uh, podcast this year, later this year. And uh, so it's that circle. Uh, and you've also been a guest previously on my other podcast that nobody knows about, the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. Both Canadians enjoy that one immensely. Anyway, welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gary. Yeah, so tell us about what you're doing at LifeWay Leadership, because uh, you're pastoring here in Canada for a number of years in a variety of mm-hmm. contexts, and then um, still young, around 30, you headed down to Nashville a few years ago and started with LifeWay Leadership. So what are you working on? Yeah, so the the big idea, three years ago, my wife and I and our three kids decided to go south uh, down to Nashville where there really aren't any other Koreans here <laughs> it's, or, or Asian people at all. It's uh, very, very different from where I grew up in Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, we came down because uh, Eric Geiger, Todd Adkins and Ed Stetzer, uh, basically they had a dream to the, the big question was, how does LifeWay begin resourcing church planting multi-site and multiplication. So because my 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 feet have been in both worlds and both multi-site and church planting, that, that's what I came down to do. And a few years ago, we started this thing called newchurches.com, which is just really a, a site to resource planters, multi-site pastors, established churches wanting to multiply. So that's kind of, I spent a lot of time with that. We just actually, this is, this is super exciting. We just actually released a course on bivocational ministry. Oh really? Uh, and yeah, so as a, I get that question like every two weeks, somebody emails me or messages me and goes, "I'm bivocational." Like, well, I've always been in full time ministry. I feel like I've had five jobs, but yeah. you know, I don't know what to say. So give us give us the site or where they can find it, so that all bivocational people I will send there. Yeah, it's it's newchurches.com slash bivo b i v o. 
and and, and the big thing, yeah, the big thing around that was having been a pastor when I came down here to Lifeway to work full time, uh, resourcing pastors and church leaders. I mean, my heart was continuing, you know, I, I continue continually wanted to preach and be involved in our church. Long story short, I serve as a teaching pastor bivocationally. But even as I was trying to navigate that whole aspect of it, there just aren't a lot of things out there on it. Right. Yeah. So we actually brought Hugh Halter in. I mean, he's kind of the expert in that world and, uh, you know, kind of cook something up, you know, helpful to, to bivocational pastors everywhere. Well, while I have you captive, um, give me a couple of nuggets for bivocational pastors listening. I'd love to know, like, what are, what are the top struggles? Obviously, it's time and money. That's yeah. what always shows up in the emails that I get and in the messages I get. Um, but what are some of the key struggles? And then real quick, what are, what are some helpful tips or, or resources that can help bivocational pastors? Totally. I mean, the, big, the biggest challenge is doing full-time ministry with half the time, right? That's kind of the big challenge in bivocational ministry. And, and our world has, I, I mean, I think in our lifetime, Carrie, there's still going to be enough positions out there for a ton of full, you know, for full-time pastorates yeah. within our lifetime. I think that's still oh, yeah. going to be the case. However, if you look at the, as you know, on the one hand, 10,000 boomers are retiring every single day, right? Are reaching the age of retirement every single day. On the one hand, uh, you look at the number of churches being started. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was 4,000 in the U.S. and 3,700 shut down. That is not keeping the pace of the growth, you know, the population growth in, yeah. in North America. And that's just North America. You think of the global context as well. Bivocational ministry, whether you are a full-time pastor or not, bivocational ministry is something that we need to have on our radar because, you. I mean, the number of, let's say, on the one hand, the number of boomers that are retiring that want to give their life, that, that, that want to continue to serve, how do you actually create bivocational positions and leadership opportunities in your church where they don't, I mean, they don't want to be paid. Yeah. They just want to serve, but they want to serve with greater responsibility, right? So you got that whole aspect, but then the whole idea of, hey, seminary, how should you do seminary? What are you going to do after seminary? Uber, Lyft coming up. Oh, right, right, whole, right. The whole aspect of the freelance economy that I recently wrote about there and and just the number of millennials that are are that are actually gigging on the side in because yeah. we're on the gig economy. So just all that thrown in, it's whether you're full-time or not in a in a church context, it's something that you really need to pay attention to and I think it's a competency that needs to be focused on regardless. So what are what are some hacks? That's a, that's a bad word, but some tips, yeah. <laughs> some strategies. Okay, that now we're getting warmer. Um that have been effective in bivocational ministry. Yeah, I guess the biggest thing that comes to mind is just trying to identify the right bivocational job right. that, that's going to give you the mind space to do full-time ministry with half the time. So what, right? are, so what are the, and that's such a good way to put it. You know, this yeah. is the th one of the reasons I love you. Number one, yeah. you have great <laughs> phrases that are memorable, you know, full-time ministry and half the time. Um, yeah. <laughs> probably for half the pay. And then, yeah. <laughs> and then you're also a walking encyclopedia of stats. I just have yeah. opinions, but you actually have statistics. So it's pretty <laughs> no, impressive. No, no. What would be an example of the type of job that a bivocational pastor would look for? Okay. So you really want to do and, and find a job that gives you mind space, that gives you the head space to be able to pray, 
for your congregation to pray through the message, to think through, you know, to even have conversations with uh, people in your church or do leadership development while driving. So a, a bad job, for example, would be starting your own company. <laughs> now, 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 I know a lot of bivocational guys or church planners, they're like, well, obviously I want to do that because they're entrepreneurial and they want to start something. But Carrie, I mean, you, you know, as well as I do, the challenge of starting something new and, and just, I mean, just the grind and how it's just, it consumes you, right? So if you are planting a church or serving as a bivocational pastor, your mind space needs to be dedicated to your church to sermon prep, to, you know, praying for your church, to strategizing, to do all that. So any sort of job that allows you to clock in and clock out and really leave it at the job is helpful, Yeah. right? So that's that's traditionally one. So I know a church planner who actually, he drove a garbage truck in California and it was like 4 a.m. to like 2 p.m. workday, right? He'd go to bed at eight. But what was great for him is actually when he's done, he was able to he was yeah. able to actually still have his day to to you know connect with people, do discipleship, leadership development. Now his job is actually transformed into like an eight to five one where he's not as rigorously collecting garbage. So now what he does is he actually just does a lot of leadership development and discipleship on the phone while driving. It's a great idea. Yeah. I mean Uber's another one too. So I can relate to that too. When we first got married and had kids, my wife, I, I definitely married up. Uh, we're both lawyers by training, but she's also a pharmacist. She was a pharmacist first. Okay. And that was the big debate in her life, pharmacy or law. And when the kids were little, she chose pharmacy because it paid relatively well and she could do it one day a week. In other words, okay. and when you're done pharmacy, like you really can't take pharmacy home. I guess if you own <laughs> you one, shouldn't. you can't, you shouldn't know then, then that's called drug dealing. Um, yeah. But then she never did that. But, you know, if you own a pharmacy, that's different. But if you work there, like, you can't really do that work at home. And we always said, hey, it fits in a box. And, you know, one day a week became two, became three. And then she had a management position as the kids got older. But then as our youngest was ready to leave home a few years ago, um, she actually switched back to law. And law doesn't fit in a box. So, you know, law is kind of like ministry. It just bleeds all over the place. And, you know, obviously it fits in a better box. And when you're starting a practice... But, um, you know, I think, I think that's a really good piece of advice. So even barista or something like that, which is another typical job, it's like you don't really barista when you're home. Like you, you yeah. have to be in a store, <laughs> you do it, you have defined hours and during the quiet space or, you know, there, there's other opportunities. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's a gem. So, so, Go so ahead, just one more, more thing then. Um, and I think this is, this is going to be applicable to, to everyone, you know, all your listeners. I would say whether you're serving full-time or not, or in, you're in the marketplace, I would encourage you to consider Ubering or doing Lyft, you know, five to 10, hour, 10 hours a week. And the reason I encourage that, and even if you're full-time, is the number that your opportunity to engage in evangelistic conversations, in spiritual conversation. I mean, the number of Ubers that I've been in that it's just naturally led to a spiritual conversation. Like when I was in Montreal for a conference there, I was picked up from the airport to downtown. It's about 30 minutes. Uh, the the guy that was driving the car, the Uber, he's Muslim, and we started talking about that. By the end of the whole car ride, I you know I, I was like, hey, I actually shared the gospel with him. You know, the hope that Jesus, you know, he you know his burden, you know, that he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna be with him, that he can comfort him if you come before him. And it was just all within a 30 minute car ride. 
Wow. That naturally, I mean, the guy just opened his life up to me, right? So, I mean, imagine if you're the driver and you're always in those conversations and even just the opportunity you have to pray for your city and, and go around. So just, you know, something I, I throw out there and, you know, maybe Airbnb as well, but. <laughs> That's awesome. That is really, really good advice. So this is the uh, longest dedicated <laughs> segment we've ever had on Bivocational Ministry on this podcast. So thank you, Daniel. That's been a gift. And for those of us who have friends in bivocational ministry or like me, get called on to give advice from time to time. That's uh, that's a good one. Hadn't thought about that. Well, uh, let's shift gears a little bit, and let's talk about a book that you published last year called No Silver Bullets. And mm-hmm. I really uh, appreciate your approach to that. And um, you talk about five little shifts that can make a big difference in ministry, because I think everybody kind of knows that they need an overhaul in ministry and that at least elements of what we're currently doing aren't working, and maybe for you know a number of leaders, nothing we're doing is currently working. Uh, but we're always is this the idea that we're always looking for the silver bullet, right? It's like just show me the one thing that you know I just want the thing that's going to turn the whole thing around. So give us some background as to why the book and what it's about. Yeah, so the idea is, I mean, from a from a big picture standpoint. The idea is how do you, as a church, create a discipleship pathway, right? So the number one audience is if you are in ministry leadership or you're a pastor or you're, you're, you know, maybe you're an elder or a deacon and you're just trying to figure out how do we better disciple people who can then disciple people who can then disciple people, right? It's how do you create a pathway from that perspective? That's from tip to tail is what the help, you know, as a whole, what the book helps you do. You're kind of looking at discipleship from a systems perspective. I don't prescribe an approach to that. Right. Instead, I, in a sense, you remember those old school encyclopedias where you'd have the human anatomy and, and you'd kind of flip the pages and you'd have transparencies, you know, the circulatory system and, you know, the muscular system and, you know, all the skeletal systems. So just like that, every church actually has those similar systems. So, so what I do in the book with my audits, templates, and assessments is actually help help you understand and discover, hey, what are those systems, and how can we actually, you know, make them cohesive so we can better disciple those who can then disciple others and who can then disciple others. So that's at the big picture level. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. Discipleship's a really big word these days, and it probably means a thousand things to a thousand people. So to you, what does that mean? Because so many people just, you know, if, if you think even of um, oh, the church model we're in, we get criticized all the time that we don't make disciples, et cetera, et cetera. Now, I beg to differ. I'll show you someone who's been at our church and uh, been engaged for five years, and I, I see a pretty big difference over where they were five years ago, and they look and smell a lot more like Jesus to me than they did before. Um, but but a lot of people just, you know, they have their own, so we can go way down the rabbit trail on this, and people think, oh, um, we're talking about different things. So what do you mean when you say discipleship? Yeah, when when I talk about discipleship in the book, the and, and I talk about terms like discipleship pathway and all that, I'm not talking about, hey, use this curriculum or right. use this study or do this approach. Because that really is the the first shift I talk about in the book is moving from destination to direction. And, and, and that whole idea is a destination mindset of discipleship is do ABC and then you're going to be mature. You know, do these one, two, three things and you're going to be set to go and you're good to go. 
So what I actually suggest is, hey, instead of having that destination mindset of discipleship, what if we shifted towards a directional mindset where really it's moving towards Christ? It's the direction that you are moving in. So even if you look at Hebrews and Philippians and running the race of faith with perseverance, I mean, I know we're both fans of Eugene Peterson. You know, he says along yeah. obedience in the same direction. So that's the idea. When you look at discipleship, it really is. It really is. What direction are you moving in? Are you moving closer to Christ? So that that's kind of the, a broad definition of how I use discipleship in the book. So I, I don't disagree with you, but I'm going to push back just a okay. little bit because some people would say, well, that's great, but like, where is the destination? Like, how, how do I know I'm mature? Uh, how do I know whether I am a disciple? That feels a little too uncertain for me. I want some certainty. Like, there's got to be some markers there as to whether you're mature or not. How do, how do you respond to people who say that kind of thing? Oh, 100%, 100%. So, uh, you know, I think maybe we'll get into some of the research uh, that I have on maturity yeah. and, and that I unpack in the book. But if you can kind of think of a quadrant, right? Mm -hmm. So think of a quadrant where you have, uh, you know, you got four squares and on, on you have destination and direction. I mean, that's one spectrum. And on the other spectrum, you have low accountability to high accountability, right? And I'm not talking about accountability like... Um, have you confessed your sins recently? Right. I'm talking more about the sense of cultural accountability. Like if you if you're going to say you're going to do something, are you actually going to do it? Right. Right. So when you when you do it in that, when you kind of put um, those two spectrums together, you actually get some depth in in the aspect of uh, you know this, this idea of discipleship as destination or direction. So I'll I'll go through each of them and and I'll kind of unpack that. The first one is, let's say your destination, your bottom left, you get destination with low accountability. Can we put this you graph actually, in the show notes, by the way? Just, yeah, I'll send it over to you. Okay, great, total, great, great. Total. We'll have this image in the show notes. So rather cool. than you driving off the road trying to figure out what it looks like, just go, just go <laughs> to the show notes at kerryneuhoff.com. We'll tag that at the end. Okay, continue. Awesome, awesome. So destination, low accountability, you got copycat churches. So these are churches that, you know, they see discipleship as destination, just do these number of programs. And this is kind of this whole idea of, I went to a conference, I read a book, look at what they're doing, look at what Connexus Church is doing, or this one, and I'm just going to do exactly what they do. But because the church has a low sense of accountability, like cultural accountability, three months later, they're going to change. You know, right. a year later, they're going to change. So it's this copycat mentality. You then move over to a silver bullet church, right? So these are ones that still view discipleship as a getting to a destination, but now they have a high sense of accountability. So they, you know, assimilation goes well, newcomer to membership class to being in a group. I mean, all from the outset, everything looks like it's going really well, and that the church is, you know, discipling people and getting people plugged in and all this stuff. But what's what what is off is the way they view success in discipleship, right? Success as, as, a, as an individual. So they're going to say, oh, well, I mean, you're, you obviously, you can measure success if you are in, you know, how frequently you attend a weekend service, if you're in a group or if you're serving, how much you're giving. And those are the metrics. Now, those metrics are helpful and mature individuals do exhibit and display those metrics. But just because you do those things doesn't necessarily, necessarily make you mature, right? Right. Right. And that's that's the big difference uh, that I that's the research that I unpack in the second chapter. So if you actually move up. Right. So let's say, hey, still high sense of accountability. But instead of viewing discipleship as destination, let's say you view it directionally, you're actually going to get an intentional church. 
And mm. that's where still they have a high sense of cultural accountability, but what they measure is actually based on research and it's things that they can do that will result in maturity. And then, and then the last quadrant is this hippie church. Right, right, right. Talk about that. Yeah, I, I laughed when I saw that. So, so that's, that's the pushback. You know, sometimes when I, when I open the way that I opened a few minutes ago, people are like, well, Daniel, you're just like organic, right? Or you're just a hippie church and you're just right. saying that, you know, there's, a, and then that's why it's a quadrant, right? Because the idea of the hippie church is it's like, choose your own adventure when it comes to discipleship. You don't know <laughs> right. if what you're doing is going to actually make a difference. But if it's good for you, it's good for you, Carrie. It's good. right, 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 right. <laughs> and that's, okay. that doesn't necessarily mature people either. So, <laughs> no, that's helpful, and we'll have that diagram in the show notes. But Daniel, um, let's go back to copycat churches because I think if you look back over the last few decades, a lot of that has happened. You know, constant connectivity on our phones and devices make it easier than ever. Um, you know, you used to have to go to conferences to steal a model to steal ideas. Now, honestly, it's every day on Instagram. You can just, you can pretty much find anything anywhere, anytime. Yeah. And I think probably copycatting in ministry has never been higher. Whether mm. that's stealing somebody else's sermon notes, whether that's taking their bottom lines, whether that's like we have to dress alike, think alike, talk alike, sound alike, um, you know, do our stages alike or steal our models or whatever. What are the dangers of copycat church? Beyond yeah, the obvious it, one of, you know, you're phoning it in or or you're just trying to replicate success. Like, what are some of the dangers? Totally, totally. So, I mean, obviously, there's there's integrity. You know, there's the yeah, whole aspect yeah. of, of integrity, right? So yeah, that's a big uh, one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, not spending too much time on that. I guess assuming the importance or, you know, people understand the importance of that. Uh, you you got to really think about it like change. Right. Change. And just the whole aspect, even if you kind of go back to the whole idea of of organ transplantation. I mean, we haven't even had organ transplantation for even 100 years. Right. Since the first one. And even if you look at how it even got started, it was like military, you know, skin grafts. And how, yeah. you know, you try to do skin grafts from one soldier to, an, you know, a, a deceased soldier to one that's living and how it actually wouldn't work. And just so all, even if you just think about that, what and, and, and the way that God has designed the human body, how does an organ transplant actually, how is it actually successful? Well, you got to look at all the connections, you know, the blood type, this, you know, right. all, all the connections that relate to that, you know, and then there's certain drugs and all, you know, medicine that you need to be able to make it work. So when you think about it like that, to, to naively think that you can just take what works there and introduce it into your own context without regard of how, even if it actually fits within your values. I mean, that that really is, it's naive to think that that would work on an ongoing basis. It might work with like 10% of your congregation, right? Or, or 20%, yeah. but it's not going to contribute to long lasting change because this is what happens, right? You got, you got, you know, if a church does this copycat model over a long period of time, they're basically going to have a book of programs because it's way easier to start something than stop something. Yeah, yeah. And then you're going to you're just going to have a, you know, five page bulletin, you know, hire a communications manager to do a big 50 page booklet of all your programs every fall. <laughs> yeah. And I think there is that there. I mean, I remember those days in ministry yeah. where I started to notice others and you borrow ideas, et cetera. Mm -hmm. 
And I think you're right. You've identified the fact that you could switch directions every three months. It's like, well, I read this book or I went to this conference or I listened to this podcast or I met this leader. And then, you know, you're pivoting every three months, which even if you listen to Silicon Valley is a disaster uh, as a business plan, (laughs) you know, you can pivot once or twice, but every three months, probably not. Uh, And then then one of the other challenges is I love the skin graft analogy to take it off a dead patient, put it on a living one. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's kind of gross and, and not, <laughs> not effective, uh, which yeah, is good. Yeah. Let's go to the quadrant above that, though, and talk about churches that maybe have a template and they are the silver bullet churches, and mm-hmm. they're thinking, no, we've got this process, right? We've got this guaranteed process for discipleship, and you go through our program. You know, If you go through our car wash, you will emerge clean. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that the thinking behind that one? Yeah, it it really is. The biggest difference between the silver bullet and the intentional church are the metrics for success or the metrics for maturity. So, so here's, this is really funny. Okay. So I got two people. I didn't know, you know, very, they didn't, it wasn't public. They just privately messaged me because they didn't want to put this on social media publicly. Right. And they were like, Daniel, and it was kind of like, it was a private message. So I felt like they were whispering to me and they were like, Daniel, uh, just, just, you know, I read your book and you do know that Eric Geiger and Tom Rainer, who wrote Simple Church, are like your bosses, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and they're like, are, are you saying, you know, as a 30-something-year-old that in your 30s, you now know more than Purpose Driven Church, Rick Warren, and Simple Church, Eric Geiger, and Tom Rainer? And they, they literally asked me that. And, you know, I guess they had the courtesy or the, you know, to privately message me instead of calling me out publicly. And yeah. it was it was awesome. So in response, because they were basically, hey, are you saying that those two models are bullet churches? Because sometimes, Carrie, in the way that I describe the silver bullet church, even as I talk about the programs and all that stuff, a lot of times people go straight to mega churches, yeah. right? And I've served in in multiple mega churches, right? So so a mega church from the outset could be a silver bullet church, but they could also be an intentional church. So what I shared with them was, hey, no, here's the thing. What I do with this quadrant is it's actually an overlay on top of your church that helps you discern where you're at so that you can move from where you are are to where you need to be. This quadrant is not actually a model that has these prescriptive steps one to three in order to implement it. It's actually something, it's it's like a lens, you know, glasses that are going to help you view what is. So the biggest difference there is, I mean, how are you, you know, with the Silver Bullet Church, how are you actually moving people toward maturity? And a lot of the things that Silver Bullet Churches emphasize don't actually, I mean, they may help toward maturity, but they don't actually know if it's creating heart change in the in, in their congregants' lives. No, that's a good distinction. And, and fortunately mm-hmm. for you, uh, I think neither Tom Rayner nor Eric Geiger listen to this podcast. So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They've been guests and they're good friends and and the whole deal. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, Okay. uh, Let's pick up destination to direction. So what difference does that shift make when you move from destination to direction? Put some flesh Mm. on that. Okay. So if I, most of the pastors and church leaders I talk to when I'm like, hey, do you see discipleship as getting to a destination or is it directional? Hey, 99% of the guys that I talk to will say it's directional. They're like, of course right. it's directional, right? And they'll they'll quite quote Bible passages and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, 
I get it. I know it. You read your Bible. Yes, it is directional. But I then I then begin asking them questions about their church and the way that they disciple and what happens and if people are being discipled. And, you know, I begin I begin kind of coaching and, and moving toward that end. And by the end of the conversation, 99 percent of them say, oh, OK, I believe it's directional. But what we're doing in our church is actually it's destination focused. Sure. So what's the distinction? I mean, how how do you know? Like, when does the light bulb go on? Because I think you're right. Most people go, well, of course, it's directional. You never really arrive. Yeah. And yet destination implies arrival. So what is the light bulb moment when leaders say, yeah, you're right. We're a destinational church, not a directional church. It's this, it's this, it's the moment when they realize the only, the, the way that discipleship happens in their church it, you know, the, they when they realize that the only way that discipleship happens is when people come and get that it begins clicking for them. Because uh-huh. the biggest difference between destination and direction is directional churches, the goal is developing self-feeders where, the you know, it's not that someone comes to a church to get discipled or to get this. You know, I'm using consumeristic lang- right, language right. I get it. very intentionally. Uh, but actually, the, the idea is, hey, you're coming to church. You're participating, but actually the church is equipping you to be the self-feeder, mm. right? And that's that's the key shift that begins to ha- where where that begins to happen. Interesting, because I mean, I would I'm not trying to put us in a category, but I would say at Connexus that has been our heartbeat for over a decade now mm. as a church, and you you get criticized for it sometimes. People yeah. are like, you know, mature me, and I'm like, I don't yeah. think I can do that. So I think probably some leaders, I would think most of the leaders listening right now would agree with you. And yet when they try to move to a self-feeding model, they get pushback from their members. What do you do yeah. with that? So that that's that's the whole reason chapter two in the book, you know, I talk about this shift yeah. from output goals to input goals. Because a lot of times when we think of goals, we you know, unilaterally, we think a goal is a goal is a goal but they're actually different types of goals, right? And, and when a church leader begins to understand the nuance of output goals, output goals and input goals and, and you know, all the research that I um, yeah. unpack there, that's when the, the light bulb begins to go off and say, oh, okay, so there still are metrics. There still are things that we can do that we can celebrate and move people toward, but it's just not the apparent ones that we always think of. Hmm. Okay, so... Uh... Yeah, and and build that out a little bit. You talk about okay. input and outpay, uh, output. I'm sorry, I'm still recovering yeah. from a cold, <laughs> including my brain is recovering. Uh, I can speak English. Output-based goals for <laughs> disciple-making. Yeah. Uh, what do you mean? Like, what's the difference? Okay, so just super quickly, think about dieting, and you're like, hey, how, how are you going to lose weight? I mean, there are four ways that you kind of try to lose weight. The first way, The first way is you just say, I'm going to lose weight. You know, that's it. I mean, right. no goal at all. I'm just going to lose weight. You wake up in the morning, see yourself in the mirror, and you're like, I better lose some weight. Right. <laughs> right. First way. And then, you you know, you eat a salad, and hopefully that works and get some extra steps. And I mean, nothing. It's just this obscure, I got to lose weight. The second way that people try to lose weight is they have a clear output goal. So they're like, I'm going to lose 10 pounds 
by, you know, in two months to get ready for my trip to uh, the beach, right? Or right. I just want to kind of get ready. So you have a clear output goal. So still, how are you going to get there? Maybe it's buying a Fitbit or, you know, just doing some extra steps or eating a little bit more healthy, but there's not really anything that you're doing that's going to really lead to your, you looting, losing the 10 pounds. Right. right. The third way that people try to lose weight is by moving to an input goal where they're like, OK, well, if I want to lose 10 pounds, I better watch my calories. And they look right. at, you know, caloric intake on food and all that stuff. Well, that still doesn't really work because, you know, and they exercise more because what happens when someone exercises a lot? You're hungry. You eat more. Yeah, yeah you eat more. And if you're not careful, you actually <laughs> you're, you're not going to really you're going to you're going to turn your fat into muscle. Right, you're not going to lose weight. You're actually going to gain a little bit of weight. But if your yeah. goal is to lose, then that doesn't really work that way. So the real way that dieting truly works is if you have a output goal of losing 10 pounds in two months. You go on one of the online calculators and say, well, that means you need to take in 1,700 every day. So whether you eat 1,700 or you you know eat 2,500 and you exercise to get to 1,700, in each way, if you do that consistently for two months, you're going to lose 10 pounds. Now, the reason I share that is because just in the same way that we try to lose weight, that that is actually, those four ways are actually the way, the ways that most churches try to measure success. Okay. So there's some churches in the first way that they're like, oh, we just, we just, we need to grow, right? We need to grow. Right. right? And that's, that's all it is. Right. And then the second one, they have output goals. Oh, well, we need to double our attendance or we need to break this next barrier. And they try to do a lot of things to get there, but it, it, they, it doesn't actually get them there. But but here's the thing. Every Sunday they weigh themselves hmm. and they're like, did uh, did we did we did we lose weight? Did we grow? Did we do this? And, you know, and then they don't maybe they did. And then they do a completely different set of things, not knowing what actually leads or is leading to that growth. But every week, the number of churches in the world that are just weighing themselves on the scale. <laughs> You're right. Going, why aren't we growing? Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then they are growing and they're like, man, oh, yeah. what we're, we're doing must it. really be working. And actually, they're just living, their church is in a subdivision that's growing by 50% every year. Yeah, yeah. and they're growing by <laughs> right? 8%. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, so then you have that way. And then, so, you know, in the, in the same way, it's just the whole aspect of, okay, when we think of maturity in the sense of, hey, what are the things that we can do, inputs? that are going to lead to these outputs, the results that we want, that's when you actually begin uh, unpacking the difference between silver bullet churches and intentional churches. Right. So break that down a little bit more. If you're not just measuring your attendance, you're you're not just expressing a goal, mm-hmm. what paint the picture concretely for leaders so they go, "Oh, that's when I'm doing inputs and outputs okay. more healthily." Okay, so here's here's a here's a huge one as it relates to maturity. All right, uh, so and and some of the backstory. This is all based on the transformational discipleship research that Liferay Research uh, came out with several years ago. Uh, it's it's been. I mean, you could just search transformational discipleship assessment. There's a congregational assessment you can do, and you know it's been around for a while. Now, as a pastor before coming to Lifeway, I was like, man, this is really good. As we were creating the discipleship pathway at our church, but I was like, I don't. I, I can't remember eight. The, the research revealed eight attributes that dis, healthy, mature disciples have. And I was like, I can't remember eight things. I mean, maybe someone else can. But even if I preached eight weeks in a row, 
you know, every year or imprinted it on a really nice looking card that you can put in your wallet, no one's going to remember eight things. Right. <laughs> True. Right. So we kind of assume, you know, does the 80-20 rule apply here? You know, the Pareto principle or, you know, vital behaviors, you know, keystone habits. And I was like, I just kind of gathered some assumptions. Well, when I moved down to Nashville and Lifeway Research was just across the door from me, I knocked on their door and I was like, hey, can you guys unpack this for me? Is there a connection? Are there things that we can do, inputs that we can do that are that can actually result in these eight output goals? And they were like, oh, Daniel, totally. It's of, of course there are. It's called regression analysis. And Carrie, have you ever had that moment where someone says something to you and you don't want to look like an idiot? Yeah, uh, well, <laughs> all the so time. So you're like, yeah. So you're like, regression oh, analysis. Oh. Yes, the uh, thing I yeah. did my thesis on. Um, yeah, go ahead. So what does that what does that mean? Yeah, that was exactly my question. So. I was in the same spot. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? I'm not a statistician. I'm a pastor. And yeah. so uh, basically they were like, we have this whole body of research that presents a high level of correlation between things you can do, the inputs to maturity, to these outputs. And I was like, okay, give me an example. And they basically, and this is what was really cool is that they hadn't published any of this and they weren't going to. And they were like, well, here you go, Daniel, you know, you can use all this for your book. And I was like, Hallelujah. Thank you. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah. So so here's an example. If you want to, one of the eight attributes, the eight output goals, you know, what maturity looks like in an individual, one of them is sharing your faith. Okay. Right. And, and right. I mean, you would mature disciples share their faith. You know, it's very apparent. So what, what do you think if, if you wanted your congregation or if you wanted to personally be better at sharing your faith, you know, what kind of what kind of things do you think you would do in order to get that? Uh, so what input produces that output? I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, you could go right into what situations are you in that put you in contact with people who like the Uber driver or the Lyft driver, right? What, yeah. Are you regularly in a place where you're interacting with people who are not in a relationship with Christ? I would think that would be one of them. Yeah, for sure. A hundred percent. Right. And then, you know, drawing near to God and, you know, just, you know, putting yourself in those situations. I mean, there right. are these apparent things that we obviously will often share at the end of our messages or, or sermons or have heard at the end of sermons on evangelism. But what was fascinating about the research, right, because a lot of those things are things that we, you know, it's like direct kind of, oh, yeah, spend more time with non-believers, and obviously you're going to have more spiritual conversations. But one of the cool things about the research is if you confess your sins on a regular basis, you're actually more likely to share your faith in those than if you don't. Really? So that's like a keystone yeah. habit type thing. Yeah. That people totally. who confess their sins. Really? Yeah. So, so think about that a little bit more. I mean, you can reverse engineer it, Whoa. but I mean— Okay, I don't know if your church does celebrate recovery or you know any sort of recovery ministry, but I mean, think about that context and the oh, number. Yeah. It's all the, the greatest evangelists. The greatest evangelists are those that are fully aware. I mean, it's of their sins. I mean, it's biblical as well, right? But what they actually saw in this massive—it was like two research projects put on top of each other. Out of all this data, they realized that there was that connection there. So that—that's that, the power. That's the power of inputs to outputs. I mean, that makes sense, too, because self-righteous people, I mean, the righteous think they have no sins to confess. Yeah. And those tend to be non-growing churches full of people who are already convinced that they're right and the world is wrong. And yeah. 
Oh, wow. That's interesting. All the synapses are like firing right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's, that's really, really good. Okay. So we don't have to go into a whole lot more detail there, but that is super, mm-hmm. super helpful. Um, in a similar vein, because you already tipped us in that direction, you talk about maturity to mission, right? Yeah. That there's this, and, and I mean, I've written about it, you've written about it, the, the false definition of maturity. Let's start there. What is a false definition of maturity? Because this one bothers me, so I want to hear your take on it. Yeah. Uh, so a false definition of maturity, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, you think it's behavior modification, right? Yeah. Or, or it's a matter of just knowing, but not doing. Right. Right. So, or, or, or doing that doesn't flow out of heart change or doesn't flow out of the right motives. Right. So, I mean, I love, I love this Charles Spurgeon quote. Um, and, and you might've tweeted it. I know I've tweeted it multiple times and I mean, it's, it's out there a lot. It's every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter, right? It's pretty mm-hmm. common. A lot of people have probably heard of it, but if you looked at the original sermon in which he said that, he yeah. actually says the equivalent of a mic drop right after that. <laughs> Tell me about it. Go go All deeper. Right. So he says, every Christian here is either a missionary or an imposter. And then he says, recollect that. <laughs> <laughs> like literally, he says, recollect awesome. that. Uh, awesome. Okay. And then, and then he does version. go on. <laughs> he goes on that. and he says, you either try to spread abroad the kingdom of Christ or else you do not love him at all. It cannot be that there is a high appreciation of Jesus and a totally silent tongue about him. That man who says, I believe in Jesus, but does not think enough of Jesus to ever tell another about him by mouth or pen or tract is an imposter. Isn't that amazing? That's so (laughs) true. That's so true. And I love what you said, too. You know, I would say the essence of false maturity is knowing versus loving. You know, mm-hmm. Paul, Paul really did say, you know, so faith expresses itself through love, that the greatest of these things is love. And I know when I'm loving well, and, and that means verbally talking about Jesus as well, I think I reflect Christ well. When it's about what I know versus how little you might know or somebody else might know or the unsaved may know, uh, that's when, you know, I've fallen so far off the wagon, it's hard to see it anymore. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Wow. So, I mean, that's where we really do need to look at, hey, when when biblically and personally, when do people mature the most? It's not in a classroom. No. It's actually in the desert. Now, I don't wish desert moments upon anyone, but yeah. those are actually biblically one of the greatest moments of, you know, moment, times of refining and of maturity in, in David's life. Moses' life, Jesus' life, Paul's life. It's these yeah. desert moments that actually prepared them and released them into greater measures uh, and greater greater depths of ministry, not just once, but multiple no. times. And they're really precursors. They're preconditions to being used by God in mm-hmm. many ways. So maturity to mission, anything else to, to, to share with us on that? Because that's super helpful, Daniel. Yeah, the the whole idea is how do you normalize the act of mission? How do you normalize this idea of, hey, the goal isn't maturity. It's actually being a missionary. Now, whether you want to use that term or not, it's this idea of always being on mission with God. But how do you actually normalize that in your congregation? Because when you are on mission, you mature. But when you are focusing on maturity, you don't necessarily you're not necessarily on mission. And your mission is not maturity. 
<laughs> That's actually not <laughs> yeah, your and, goal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there's there's a lot of different ways that you can do that. My, I mean, just re- I know you recently had Dave Ferguson on, uh-huh. you know, talking about Hero Maker, Big Green Egg. I mean, I love love your podcast, by the way. And <laughs> thanks, Daniel. Love what you do. So, but I mean, even what Dave Ferguson and and John have done at Community Christian with their Bless acronym, right? Begin with prayer, listen, eat, serve, and story. Man, the churches that I've pastored, I mean, that's just normal. We just make that a part of our language yeah. in the in the testimonies we share, in the stories, in my illustrations. In fact, after one sermon uh, that I preach, and I as a teaching pastor, I you know I preach probably about every other week in, in, I'm at my church by vocationally. But this 12 year old came up to me, right, and he's like, Mister Daniel, uh, mm. I just want to say. Thank you so much for the bless for bless. I'm gonna I'm gonna do this every single morning, every single. And then a couple of months later, he came back and he shared the fruit of it in his life, in in just how simple it is to just begin with prayer and ask Lord, here I am. What would you have me do today? Guide my conversations. Guide, I mean, just imagine the impact if all of us started our day like that, rather than turning the alarm off and then checking Facebook. <laughs> right, right, right. Or asking God, what's in it for me today? Right, yeah. which is where a lot of prayer has gone these days. Yeah, totally. Okay, you do, and I, I want to get to this before we wrap up. But you do talk about change in your book, and that is mm-hmm. just so difficult for so many leaders. Uh, what What's your take on change? Because obviously, there's some transformation that needs to happen in order to um, move to this kind of model. Um, what are some worst practices with change? What are some best practices? Totally. So a worse practice would be reading a book, listening to this podcast, and just trying to do exactly what was said without processing it with your team. Yeah, yeah, true, true, true. <laughs> right, that would be the copycat. So so even even in the sense of, hey, how do you, and, and maybe from this podcast or from my book or, you know, any other book that you pick up, there is a really good nugget that you're like, man, this is this is going to be amazing. This is going to be, this is exactly what we need. If you I'm not saying don't take that and don't read broadly and don't listen broadly. That's not what I'm saying. But to take that and to try to champion that yourself without first communicating it to your team, processing it with your team. And maybe you're a solo pastor and you're like, I don't have a team. I don't have a staff team. Well, no, you, you have, have a team. You have a team. Yeah. <laughs> they may not team. be paid. I was there. We had a church of six people. There's a team. Yeah. <laughs> so in light of all that, it's, hey, how do you actually process that? together. So it's been pretty neat to see uh, the number of, of guys that have actually come up to me and they're like, hey, as a staff, we're actually reading a chapter of your book every week or every month during our meeting. And this one church, they're like, okay, in light of us now having read the first five chapters, we're now going to go through the second part of the book and implement one of them this entire year. Right. And that's and that's why this chapter, you know, I, I talk about how do you introduce change? Because there's a ton of books on how to manage change, do change. I mean, you have a great book on change, Carrie. Um, so I didn't want to necessarily repeat or or say what was out there. I just want to say, okay, if you want to make a shift, a small shift that's going to produce a large change in your context. If you're if you want to better implement a discipleship pathway in your context, here are three quick steps to just introduce change and know whether it's a good idea or not, that's right? Really it's just good. that whole idea of, is this change effort worth it? That's the that's kind of the the the, the audits and the assessments I have. In the I think book. that's a really good um, counsel to people too, is it's very difficult to effectively implement change you don't understand. 
And mm. to simply steal your idea or the shell of an idea or an undigested thought and say, this is where we're going, you're going to run into all the shallowness of that thinking within months or certainly within a year. And I think that's really good. You know, you got to digest, you got to understand almost from first principles. Okay, I get it. I've lived with this. Our team has lived with this now for a little while. And I would just echo that. Like I literally did start at a church with six people and we had a team of two. Uh, It wasn't exactly a dream team back then, but we had a team of two. We found the two elders and it's like, we're going to start here. And obviously you don't end there, but that's where you start. So you've got a team. Uh, That's good. Daniel, anything else you want to share with us? in uh, the remaining few minutes. Anything else? Man, man, I just want to say thank you for your ministry, Carrie. Uh, oh, it's, it's, you're yeah. So welcome. No, it's even this past summer, I was, I was sharing this with you before the podcast started, but when Todd Adkins and I were in Australia doing what we do out there with Lifeway Leadership, Leadership Pipeline stuff, and yeah. the number of people in Australia, right, in, <laughs> in the land down under that were like, oh, yeah, I listened to the Carrie New, you know, obviously because we're both Canadians. They're like, do right, you right, know right. Carrie? <laughs> Actually, yes, we do know each other. <laughs> but it's not because we're Canadians. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's well, thank you. I really appreciate that, and it continues to surprise me and, and humble me. And and thank you for what you do. And I just love your. Uh, and I mean, we've gotten into this in other conversations we've had, but you're pretty much an encyclopedia of stats and information and actual research, and you put it together in a really entertaining and engaging way. And uh, Daniel, easiest website for people to find you at and also uh, where to get the book. Yeah. So you can go to danielm.com. Uh, my last name is I two am. letters. I am. Uh, funny story. My last name, the, my wife's last name is Hugh, H-U. And she oh, always yeah. wanted to marry someone with a longer last name. <laughs> she failed in that. <laughs> yeah. Too bad. Too bad. So danielm.com. And, and that's where, I mean, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, love to connect their, their things there. But in terms of the book, uh, everywhere books are sold. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you can pick it up anywhere. If you go to danielm.com slash no silver bullets, I actually have this thing where if you if you buy books for your team, I'll actually do a phone call with you or and, you know, you know, a Skype call or a FaceTime as well. And there's if you just buy it for yourself and maybe you have a team of two, uh, I have audits and templates and resources on PDF format that I that I just hand off to you as well. So that's just a part of it. Daniel, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And uh, thanks for sharing with us today. Thanks for having me, Carrie. Well, isn't Daniel just like the most encouraging guy? He just, every time I see him, he's just like got this permanent smile on his face and he sounds like it too. So I just love Daniel. You're going to want to check out his book, No Silver Bullets. Uh, You also will recognize him from the 5LQ podcast, from the New Churches podcast, and he's got one with his wife as well, which is pretty cool. All the links to that are in the show notes. So you can head over to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode, what are we at? Ah, can you believe it? 186, kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 186. If you can't spell that or remember that, go to lead like never before. Search Daniel M I M and you will find the show notes there. So next week we are back with Tim Elmore. I've been waiting for this interview. I recorded it several months ago. This guy's genius. I mean, he's talking about young leaders, Generation Z. And if you're a parent, you're going to love this. If you're a church leader who wants to work with young people or you have a young team, you're going to love this. But it's about overcoming the battles we all face in an increasingly stressed world. Frankly, secret. Even as an adult, you're going to find this helpful because we all struggle with the same thing. Here's an excerpt from next week's conversation. 
brand new president just took over an electric drill company that sold drill bits and electric drills. At the end of his first day, he'd met all the staff members and the VPs at the company wanted to make some speeches so they could just brag about how great this company was. And vice president after vice president stepped up to the podium and just talked about how they were selling 60% of the drill bits sold in North America. They were sure that their future was bright. At the end of their little talks, the president stepped up and smiled and said, gentlemen, thank you for those speeches. Those were wonderful speeches. But after a pregnant pause, he said, you're just forgetting one thing. There's no market for drill bits. The market, he said, is for holes. And the moment someone comes up with a better way to make a hole, drill bits will be obsolete. Yeah. And that's exactly right. We fall so in love with the drill bit we're making right now, that product, that program that we're, ma that we're doing, that we think this is it. And no, 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 this is a means to an end. It's don't fall in love with programs, fall in love with purpose. Don't mm -hmm. fall, in love, fall in love with mission. So this pe these people, this company, had fallen in love with what they were doing, just like we all do. So that comes out next Tuesday morning. First thing, subscribers, you'll get it automatically on your devices. If you haven't subscribed yet, do so because uh, there is some goodness coming up. Who else have we got this year? Well, Clay Scroggins uh, just finished that interview. It is brilliant on the digital disruption. Uh, Rusty George has some incredible insights in a few weeks just about um, leadership and trust, which is a much bigger issue than you think. Jessica Beeler and Gina McLean are coming up. Uh, plus, we've got, oh, let's see, we've got John Tyson, Les McEwen, Nancy Duarte, Brian Carter, Chris Kane, Christine Kane is going to be on, Levi Lusco, Rachel Cruz, Daniel Pink, Ed Stetzer, Adam Hamilton, John Gordon, Patrick Lencioni, and so many others. Um, that's coming down the pipe in 2018. Subscribers comes to you automatically. Hey, head on over to my blog over at leadlikeneverbefore.com too. We uh, post some fresh content every single week to keep you engaged as leaders. We will catch you next Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. If you're looking for some help, head on over to belaysolutions.com slash carry. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening. And I do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.